Welcome to MindReadings Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centered care and practice, animated by the question of whether doctors and patients speak the same language and how we can use narrative to bridge the evident gaps. MindReading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and the Diseases of Modern Life Project and the University of Birmingham, expanding to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland, most notably the UCD School of English Drama and Film. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research and contemporary medical practice in the field of mental health. The podcast series, Experts in Conversation, brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we have to postpone, and is brought to you by the RCPI Archive. And this episode is brought to you by the School of Agriculture and Food, Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, with particular thanks to Frank Monaghan for making it possible. Our second guest on this episode, Rewriting the Stories of Disability, is Dr. Erwin Gill. Erwin is a consultant paediatrician working in disability and rehabilitation and clinical lecturer assistant professor in the School of Medicine at University College Dublin. His areas of clinical practice and research interest include physical disability, rehabilitation after acquired brain injury, spina bifida, interdisciplinary care, patient-focused outcome measures, and access to disability and rehabilitation services for children. Erwin, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, hard to know where, where to start with, with all the things that were, were brought up there by, by, by Deirdre. Very, very rich series of things. I wanted to pick up, I suppose, in particular on the the issue she discussed in related to language. Sometimes in medicine, the language we use isn't always as geared towards narrative as it could be, um, and that can create a tension sometimes. I think we're taught in college and while we're in training to address clinical scenarios primarily by finding a, a, a diagnosis. Um, and that's not to say that there's no mention of uh, a biopsychosocial model of, of illness uh, or, or of health in medical training. And, and it's more prevalent in some specialties than in, than, than in others. But those kind of complexities don't tend to fit very well into the way that we have to be examined in kind of a five option MCQ kind of system. Uh, there's not a lot of room for this. Um, and sometimes that just means it gets shunted to the side and that we don't really learn about these things until we're a little bit further down the road. Where that's interesting from my perspective as a, as a disability specialist is that for, for disability and, and probably for, for everything, um, a, a diagnosis is a completely insufficient description of the person to whom it applies. I suppose a diagnosis, I would argue, is not necessarily the disability itself, or at least not the same disability. And, and, and as Deirdre mentioned, there are lots of people who will argue that autism isn't a disabling condition, and there are people who will argue that it is. And I would agree with Deirdre that that's for each individual to determine for, for, for themselves rather than for us to decide uh, by creating a list of things that are and, and are not disabling. Where the tension comes working within the disability system is that a, a system that focuses primarily speaking on diagnosis rather than on description or narrative or function in terms of getting access to supports or getting access to help is always going to generate a certain amount of tension um, between, I suppose, the way that we as specialists would like to play the game by describing and helping our patients and the way that we're forced to play the game to get them what they, they sometimes need from a system that isn't always set up to hear the stories, I suppose. The frequent example that I come across is, is whether or not it's correct that a child in whom a whole load of people have identified functional difficulties and, and, and active everyday real world problems, is it right that that child can't get help because they either don't have any specific diagnosis yet or because they don't have the right diagnosis? I would argue that their problems are what they are regardless and their diagnosis may not meaningfully change their experience of their disability. 
but nonetheless, unfortunately, sometimes in a diagnostically focused system, that's where we find ourselves having to play the game. So there's, there's a tension here, I suppose, between how we sometimes have to practice medicine and, and how, uh, we, how, we, how we would like to. And I suppose because labels and diagnoses are, are insufficient, language and disability has become extremely important. And I think there's, there's a very recent example of this, I suppose. You, you can see the reaction that happened when uh, Minister Josefa Madigan referred to children without disabilities as, as quote-unquote normal children uh, earlier in the year, which is, uh, I suppose, a very unfortunate gaffe. And I, I don't think necessarily reflects on her being a, 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 a terrible, awful person. But I think it rankled with so many people because those of us working in the system and people living with disability would simply just never do that. Uh, it would just simply never happen. And it's not that the use of inappropriate words are, you know, it's not about who can be the most woke or or about, about you know, being politically correct. But it's because these words um, for people who are living with disability are extremely revealing of, of conscious or unconscious constructs of disability in, in, in society. And I, I, I uh, like to start when teaching disability to junior doctors or, or, or medical students by asking them um, about the issue that Deirdre closed with, in fact, is about whether or not you would use person first or conditioned first language. So uh, I suppose full disclosure, I, I tend to say to families that I'm, I mean, I tend to talk about children with disabilities rather than, than disabled children. Um, the reason I do that is that in my experience, I find parents who have not been living with disability for a long time, they think correctly or incorrectly that the term disabled child is actually offensive or a slur and that that is broadly accepted as correct. That's calling someone disabled is an insult of some sort. And I think it's people who are perhaps later or further along down the road uh, of their journey with disability who sometimes have, a, have have different approaches. And there are still, you know, I don't think there's a correct or incorrect attitude to that, but there are differences of opinion. But in asking medical students or doctors, you know, child with disability versus a disabled child, do you think one of those is wrong? And very frequently, they will tell me that disabled child is wrong. Uh, it's an incorrect thing to say. And if I sort of said, well, what if I was to tell you that lots of disability advocates would say that if you say that a child with a disability, that that internalizes the disability to that child, that it is theirs, integral to them, and it's no one else's fault, versus saying that a child is disabled implies that they are disabled not only by illness, but by circumstance and by society and by our failure to uh, accommodate, to use that, that, that awful word, um, they're, they're the difficulties that they've got. Some people prefer person-first language. The, the autism, autistic community are, are extremely clear on that at the moment, that autistic person is most people's preference. But very interestingly, at a recent presentation I, I participated in, we had one specialist who said that their families preferred to talk about child with a disability. Others preferred to talk about disabled children. And another group felt the word disabled should be banned and was entirely offensive. Um, and then adult disability advocates will frequently say that the, the ideas of uh, special needs or uh, diff ability and these kind of things are, you know, they find it offensive and people should just get over the idea that the word disability is something that, that ought not be said. So a, a broad variety of different constructs. But I suppose the idea is that the words are deeply revealing um, about the, I suppose, what underpins our, our attitudes to disability. And to get away from labels and into stories, um, and I suppose this relates to invisible disability as well, in terms of getting past diagnosis and label and terminology, one of the most 
revealing real world experiences I ever had in understanding disability was, was early in my training in Australia. Um, I was uh, I'd not even actually started in the hospital I was working in in Sydney when they said that, that there's a camp they run every year for children and teenagers with acquired brain injury where they go off for two days uh, into this uh, idyllic New South Wales lakeside um, thing and go um, canoeing and rock climbing and doing all this incredible stuff. Um, and uh, they need medical cover in case somebody has a, a seizure or has a fall or an accident or whatever. So there has to be a doctor there. So I hadn't been inside the door of the hospital yet, but they said, you, off you go. You're doing this. This is your induction. Anyway, it was great. Uh, it was it was the thing. But I, I learned more about the reality of the lived experiences of the invisible disability for acquired brain injury in those two days than I think I have before uh, or since the interesting thing was that, first of all, it was mostly invisible. There were very few children there who had any obviously apparent physical disability. But the real lived experience for them was in the the managing of, of everyday scenarios that would just never come across in a medical report or a medical letter or any kind of a medical construct of disability at all. Um, it's the sort of failure to, to, to read um, complex social cues or difficulty managing uh, tempers. And I suppose more than anything else, it's the idea that these children, before they had their injuries and, and after, look more or less the same as they ever did before. Society's expectations of them hasn't changed at all. And unfortunately, they their experience can be that they repeatedly fail to live, live up to other people's expectations of them, which has an enormously damaging effect for them as well. And I suppose spending two days with them in that scenario was incredibly revealing to try and understand the kind of stories that people with invisible disability have. And one of the reasons why I suppose I enjoy working in rehabilitation is because it sort of, I suppose, raises an eyebrow at the medical model of illness and health. It doesn't ignore it completely. Um, there's a lot of very complex medical management within uh, rehabilitation and disability, but it accepts that having the diagnosis doesn't mean that you have the answer um, and that there's a lot more to the lived experiences and stories of people with those disabilities before and the, before you, you can fully understand them. The tricky thing, I suppose, with words and labels is that they they tend to emphasize division, uh, I suppose, and othering uh, of people with, with disabilities in a way that stories don't and narratives don't. If we think about what disability actually is, as we mentioned earlier, it's not just a, a medical diagnosis or, or, or a label, but it's, a, it's the interaction between difficulties with body structure and function, so something internal not working as, as you might like it to, allied with problems with activity and participation, so not being able to do the things that you yourself have chosen are important, and all of that coming in the context of your environment and your own preferences. And I suppose framing disability in that way as being something beyond a label or, or just a diagnosis means that that experiencing disability is not something that only disabled, quote unquote, people can experience, but in fact, it's something that anyone can experience, that anybody can experience disability if they have a barrier to activity and participation that's caused by some problem in, in, in their body. And that can happen transiently. I think COVID has taught an awful lot of people that, um, that disability is not just something that exists for other people. And that's a very powerful thing because it means that if disability is not just a thing for a different category of people, it means that disability services are not just a thing for a different category of people and suddenly disability is everyone's business. It reframes disability completely as not some separate category. It deletes othering as a, as a thing that should even exist. And crucially, and I think this is really important with the current stories that are going on um, in relation to, to children with disability in particular, it completely reframes the role of the state and the assistance that we owe people with disabilities, not as extra help, but as the minimum duty that 
people are owed in participating in their own lives on their own terms based on their own preferences. And from, from my perspective, our challenge as people working within a medical model that has been perhaps slow to adapt to this kind of model of, of health, I think the, the WHO's publication of the the ICFCY framework in 2007 was, was a, a huge step forward, but we've still been slow to get there. Our, our challenge is to try and hear these stories, not try to reduce them simply into a diagnosis or into a series of scores with which we are comfortable with and which will fit into a letter, but to hear the stories and try to grow the system to make room for them rather than trying to reduce the stories into something that we are more familiar with. Um, and I might leave it there for now. <laughs>